Hi. Hello. Welcome back to Old Millennials, a deep dive on shallow topics from the late 90s and 2000s. I am one of your hosts, Margot Poupard. And I'm your other host, Emily Beijing. If the words, go, go, Power Rangers, you mighty morphin Power Rangers, if that means anything to you, and I hope you stretch regularly and use moisturizer consistently, because it has been 30 years, count them, one through 30 years since the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers graced our TV screens and caused us to fight our friends and imaginary putty members for at least a good two to three years solid or until your mom thought that you guys were playing too rough and broke it up. Emily, what is your relationship to the Power Rangers and Extreme Swarm Wars? Who is your favorite Power Ranger? Okay. One, hi, I'm Emily, Trini, Yellow Ranger, obviously, but mostly because my friend who was an only child was the Pink Ranger and I didn't want to fight about it. <laughs> it's funny because there's like- Was your only child of this- Was your only child friend me? No, surprisingly, <laughs> I. but apparently I had a Margot in my life in like preschool kindergarten, but uh, obsessed with Yellow Ranger. And let me tell you, you like me, you probably- because we are European, had this household where my mom was like, this is very violent. Why are we watching this? Like, we were a family where we got to watch more adult movies on a, like, love, sex kind of thing and mm-hmm. less violence. So Marvel, never really been a Marvel girly as a result of this. And it's I think it's because I just grew up in a household where, like, action movies were just not a thing. But I love the Power Rangers and I was obsessed and I tried to find ways to watch all the time my sister loved it too she was a pink ranger and we had t-shirts and like you go to our parents house and some of the photographs our neighbor took of us as kids have us wearing our power ranger t-shirts how about you was obsessed with the power rangers like took you know several failed karate classes because of it did some gymnastics as well because of it because i was so obsessed I, you know, was definitely either the Pink Ranger or Rita. Like, I was either. Oh, Rita Repulsa. What a good villain. I thought that she was, like, not. She was, like, a villain, but sort of in the vein of, like, Ursula to me, where it's like, I get where oh. she's coming from, you know? Like, she, she's, she's not a Japanese all drag queen. She's a Japanese drag queen. I think, yes, my early obsession with RuPaul kind of, like, led nicely into, like, ooh, I'll be Rita. Like, she's dumb. She's, she's basically, like, divine on this television program. But similar to you, like, my mom especially was very, like, oh, my God. Like, you guys are all, like, hitting each other. And, like, you're playing too rough and you got to break it up. And she really was, like, I wouldn't say miffed, but was, like, concerned. Kind of similarly to, like, when my nephews were going through a phase where, they would play with their action figures be like i'm gonna kill you bang bang and just being like utterly <laughs> disturbed that like kids understand how that works oh, i can God. kind of see it now with like some hindsight but yes, yes definitely loved i loved the pink ranger always wanted to be here but also loved the yellow ranger and would happily play her but typically i went for pink ranger yellow ranger or rita because yeah. no one wanted to be rita and that is just my personality be like fine like i'll do the thing that people don't want to do like it's not that big of a deal to me but um yes. i we'll get into some of the mania because it was definitely like a big part of it i don't believe i had i mean i had toys but i don't think i had any of the shirts i might have had oh uh, a blanket or a sleeping bag uh, it's escaping me now but there's definitely oh, like a ooh. slumber party photo of yes. me in either like a power rangers it was either like a blanket or a sleeping bag that's like pulled up to like my chin and i'm so stoked to be wrapped up with all of my best friends the power rangers yes i definitely had like a power rangers themed birthday where i had like paper plates and cups with power rangers on mm-hmm. them and then I think I had a watch that I probably oh. lost, but like a Christmas present yes. was like a Yellow Ranger watch, which and was I, very I exciting. And I want to say there were like Happy Meal toys tied into this oh, as well. Absolutely. So they were, I mean, a huge phenomenon. I mean, kind of like similarly to Titanic Mania, which we had talked about earlier this season, like yeah. a, a fad that confounded and befuddled parents, which I thought mm-hmm. was very interesting. And then I also, I wouldn't say I had a phobia, but, you know, being an only child, you make up a lot of games when you're like solo or you got to like run errands with your mom. And so I frequently in my own mind was like, oh, you know what? I'm not going to step on the cracks of the sidewalk, not because of like, oh, step on a crack, break your mother's back. No, fuck that. I don't care about that. If I step on a crack, one of those like wild putty people are going to show oh, yeah. up and I'm yes. them off and like save yes. my family. And so yes. I'd always be playing that kind of game. And then I always had a crush on Zach. 
that was my my crush my ranger crush oh mine was i think jason the red ranger yeah original red ranger yeah you know me i'm always like oh everybody likes nick carter i'm gonna like the narc (laughs) i'm gonna like kevin (laughs) i know a lot of people really like tommy but i still i you know bad boys weren't always my thing and like it depended sometimes they were and then sometimes they weren't and in this case like yeah, I, I really went for the the Jason character, who I found out grew up in the same area as me during this research, which was really exciting. Oh, interesting. Well, as a yes. risk-adverse person, I definitely was not into the bad boy. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought the morphing powers were cool. I think we missed the, like, Transformers cartoon boat. And so, like, the idea that you would be, like, pterodactyl and then all of your little yeah. stuff comes together and then, like, clicks into place was also very cool for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But- just obsessed with Power Rangers, intensely obsessed for several years. And then I think like the Spice Girls came and like replaced them in terms of like obsession level and like games that you play with your friends where you essentially play out like an episode of Power Rangers just amongst yourselves. Yes, absolutely. I think very similarly to you, I was very into Power Rangers from like 93 to about like 95, 96. And then, yeah, so the Spice Girls boat comes along and that's the one I jump on for sure. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Well, we're going to get into a little Power Rangers backstory history, and then we're going to get into a little bit of the Power Rangers mania. And then we watched. See, okay, I think that like the reason why you and I were like, what the fuck is this when we watched the new Netflix Power Rangers movie? It's not a reunion. I know. Yeah. Two of the surviving Power Rangers members to come back and do essentially like a TV movie. So we watched it, but we also want to preface it by saying it is not a reunion. We repeat, it is not a reunion. And now it makes a ton more sense why they shot it in New Zealand and why Amy Jo Johnson was like, uh, I can't fucking like go to New Zealand for three and a half months to shoot this for probably not enough money because I have yeah. my own career and I have my own family and I can't just like do that. In a pandemic, no less. So that's sort of like the flow of the episode. So Emily, do you want to kick us off with the Power Rangers knowledge that you've gained? Oh my God. This Sunday, I had a blast. I was just watching documentaries, reading up on this. It's This is the most fascinating story. It is a story that... I feel like with every sensation, it's always like the story of like the thing that almost never even happened. Like there's there's a bunch of no's at the door. There's a bunch of like doors slammed in people's faces. There's a bunch of abandoned projects. But let's get into it. Um, You can't talk about the Power Rangers history without going back to the 1950s in Japan. And that's when the first Duff go back, go back to the beginning. Let's go back, back to the beginning. And the beginning are the first tokusatsu films that were made. And tokusatsu translates to special film. So we're talking about Godzilla, Mothra, Giant Robo, etc. These movies are super campy watching a 2023 world of green screens, Marvel, and insanely lifelike CGI effects. But back then, that was movie magic and the state of the art. And scaled replica sets where people in monster costumes looked like they were attacking Tokyo. And the influence of this is still very much felt. I mean, Jennifer Coolidge's W Magazine photo shoot directed by the Daniels is obviously an homage to this. The Beastie Boys video for Intergalactic is an homage to this. It is still very, this campy but amazing way of doing things that was so iconic in cinema is still referenced all the time. Cut to the 1970s, where there are a bunch of TV shows that are filmed using this tokusatsu-like special effects. The Toei Company, which is a Japanese film, TV production, and distribution and video game company, developed a superhero TV show called Kamen Rider, based on Shotaru Inshinomori's manga. And Kamen Rider was one of the first of what we call a henshin hero, and henshin literally means change body, but is usually translated to transformation or metamorphosis. Sounds familiar, right? Uh, this comes from Common Writer's catchphrase on the show where he'd say Henshin to transform. So Henshin heroes are the characters that have part-time powers, if you will. So in order to change into their heroic form, they have to have an object or a talisman or an accessory they activate. There's always a transformation montage. Sailor Moon is a great example of this. So her magical brooch on her outfit activates her superhero Sailor Moon persona and Serena becomes Sailor Moon. And then we have that iconic transformation montage i should note i was also obsessed with sailor moon as a kid i was gonna Um, say i also was a big sailor moon fan because like you would go to chinatown downtown in la yes yes get all my hello kitty supplies all my sailor moon supplies and also power rangers 
I think when I went to Japan back in 2018, the trip meant so much to me because as a small kid, I was obsessed with Japanese culture. Mm -hmm. I loved, I had a Disney book about Japan. I loved Sailor Moon. I loved Power Rangers. Um, And so for me, it was like a childhood dream realized because so many of the things that I loved as a kid came from Japan and just seeing like Sanrio, I was obsessed with Hello Kitty as well. Um, I love Pachaco and Kurokmi. My sister did as well. We collected. So Sanrio is in the mix for the childhood obsessions. But Oh, it totally makes sense. And totally. I think you and I have talked before about you and I were both really obsessed with that Fruits book, Japanese street style. That was like a yes. huge Urban Outfitters staple from yes. like 2002 to yes. 2005. Yes. So. Yeah, that's that's all of a piece because a lot of them are wearing um, like Hello Kitty paraphernalia or like Sailor Moon accessories and stuff like that. That kind of all I think all kind of tie back together and like things about Japanese culture that we really appreciated growing up. And I don't know if you saw this recently, but Hello Kitty is like a 80 billion dollar industry, which is like only like you combine all of like Marvel's properties together and it can it barely catches up to Hello Kitty, which I find to be insane because when I went to the Hello Kitty con in 2015 or 2016, they uh, what I didn't realize is how much money they make through licensing, which is yes. also like a thing for Power Rangers, how they made up yes. a bulk of their money with merch is yes. licensing. You make so yes. much money on the back end. Totally. I mean, it is the kind of money because they've did all sorts of licensing and partnerships with electronic companies, clothing mm-hmm. companies. They have lines with really famous designers. Like it's a smart mm-hmm. business decision because you're capitalizing on the nostalgia factor coupled with an, a, a generation of people who grew up on something and are now adults with spending capital. Like it mm-hmm. is a brilliant, it's capitalism at its finest. Mwah, mwah, mwah. Like, I mean, eat right up. Me nom, up. Nom, nom. Yeah. Shut up and take my money. Right. Yeah. Pretty much. So, so common writer ha- like Sailor Moon, like all these henshin heroes, they had a very popular set of toys that were made by Bandai, which you're going to get into later, a Japanese toy company. And Toei and Bandai had this partnership licensing deal. They wanted to create a show that had more than just one character because with common writer, you get the belt, you get the action figure, and then it's done. And then that kid has no more spending power. So Ishino Mori and the team at Toei create a new series focused on five henshin heroes called Himitsu Sentai Go Ranger. They would change into their superhero form with their wristwatches and each had their signature weapon to fight villains trying to take over. Concept was simple. There was one major villain of the week on each episode and the Super Sentai would fight them together. Himitsu Sentai Go Ranger first aired on April 5th, 1975 as part of a Sunday morning children's TV block alongside Kamen Rider and featured a red, blue, yellow, green, and pink ranger. There were several spin-off reboot series throughout the 70s and 80s in Japan. They became hugely successful. And so the Sentai series, which is what it would become known as, or Super Sentai, would get its biggest reboot inspiration when, with, when Marvel with Stan Lee partnered with Bandai and Toei to create a Japanese Spider-Man TV show. And they had introduced a robot to essentially sell more toys. So this... Japanese Spider-Man TV show had like a transformational robot where um, at the end of the episode, Spider-Man would turn into a robot to be able to fight the like huge mega sized version of the villain of the week. Um, So in later versions of the Sentai show, Super Sentai shows, the villain of the week became this giant version of itself in the final battle. So the Super Sentai would get together into their Hecha or giant robot to defeat the villain. And that's where this concept comes from. The first version of the show to introduce the Hetch, the Hecha robot, the what we call like the Power Ranger robot for all intents and purposes, is Denshi Sentai Dinjiman, which began airing February 2nd, 1980. And this is when they start calling it Super Sentai. So Marvel with Toei and Stan Lee wanted to find a way to bring Super Sentai to the US. But in the 80s, Saturday mornings were pretty much a cartoon only game. Enter Margaret Lush. So Margaret Lesh is this veterans and children's TV. She is responsible for like decades of Gen X and Gen Y, like formative children's TV programming. So after working at ABC and NBC in the 70s, she became the VP of children's programming at Hanna-Barbera in 1979, which is like peak Hanna-Barbera. So they, you know, Saturday morning cartoon blocks, Scooby-Doo, all the above. She became president and CEO of Marvel Productions, their TV division in 1984. 
So Marvel Productions, and you have to remember everyone, like this is like pre-Disney acquisition. This is pre-giant X-Men movies. This is when like things at Marvel were like, they, they, you know, back then this is when DC ruled the game of movies, TV shows. Like Marvel didn't have a stake in the game really from a hero, superhero standpoint. In 1984, Marvel Productions, which eventually became New World Animation in 1993 and later got acquired by Waystar Royco, or excuse me, News Corporation slash Fox (laughs) Entertainment Group in 1996, because there's a lot of acquisitions here. It does get very Um, Roy-like. Yes, this is very (laughs) (laughs) Succession-esque. In the 1980s, though, Marvel Productions was behind their big game, was the Saturday morning cartoon block. So they had G.I. Joe, My Little Pony, Spider-Man, Transformers, Gemini and the Holograms, Dungeons and Dragons, and my personal favorite, Muppet Babies. I was obsessed. I don't know about you. Were you obsessed? I was obsessed with Muppet Babies, for sure. 100%. Oh, my God. I mean, all of these cartoons were a staple, right? Like, you would just wake up and it would just be on. Yes, always. In the mid-1980s, Stanley shows Lash a video of the Super Sentai's like Marvel should bring this to the US and she's on board. She gives him 25 grand to put together this English dub pilot clip of Sun and they call it Sun Vulcan, which is the latest iteration of Super Sentai to show to TV execs. And they're flat out rejected by ABC, CBS, NBC, HBO, and then it kind of just goes nowhere. So enter Haim Saban, an Israeli musician. He had a band called the Lions of Judah that was signed to Polydor in the 60s, but didn't experience much success. And so he became a music promoter in Israel. He and his songwriting partner, Shuki Levy, emigrate to the U.S. in the 80s and began writing music and theme songs for kids TV shows through a partnership with Deke, which is a big French animation company that was heavy in the 80s animation scene. The shows they wrote music for include Inspector Gadget, Rainbow Bright, Dragon Quest. Catchy tune. Catchy tune, Dragon Quest, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, She-Ra. There is a little bit of controversy because there are some people who have sued him, um, claiming that they wrote the compositions and he had to settle out of court with some people. But I digress. It's a very Saban trait, (laughs) as you well know. As I well know. Back to the main story, though, here is Saban and Levy, under their company Saban Entertainment, created several minor hit animated shows in the 80s, including kid video and they also did the music for several japanese kids shows and brought some of those to the u.s which is what brings saban on a business trip to japan in 1984 while he's in his hotel room he watches one of the super sentai tv uh, series and a light bulb goes off in this man's head he thought these characters on the show were always masked it could he could take these japanese fight segments and cheaply produce an american segment of the show where these people are in high school or you know doing whatever their regular lives entail and then the superheroes could just be the japanese component of the show so in 1985 under saban entertainment he produced a pilot episode of bioman an american adaptation of the chudenshi bioman which is the latest iteration of super sentai It was rejected by everybody, like the Marvel version. So fast forward to 1992, when Saban and Margaret Lesh meet for the first time. Lesh at this point, if you recall, was at Marvel Productions. Now she's the CEO and president of Fox Kids, a brand new entity. She ran it from 1990 to 97. And he presents, Saban presents this pilot that he shot. And she's super excited because she, of course, was very team Super Sentai with Stan Lee. And he, she gives him a 52-episode green light uh, to, to do an episode order, but her boss hates it. He's like, we will not be able to sell this. So Lesh gets the okay to finance a new pilot under the condition that she will risk her job for it all. She's going to go for it. She will get fired if this fails. So this new pilot, tentatively called Galaxy Rangers, is in development, and it was based on the latest iteration of the Power Rangers, well, sorry, Super Sentai show, Dinosaur Squadron, Zoo Ranger, or Zoo Ranger, where the heroes' names were based on dinosaurs. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> the pilot that featured American segments was spliced with the existing Japanese action sequences, and it was ex- incredibly successful with a test audience of kids. And so the show and toy development began, renamed the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers to cover the fact that these heroes morph and to capitalize on the long cartoon show names like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, they are going to go and uh, develop the show. And as they began trying to sell to the Fox affiliates, which you have to remember at the time, 
Fox is basically a brand new network. It launched in 86. They had a hit with The Simpsons, a minor hit with Married with Children and, and Tracy Ullman show. But these they're still trying to get a, a hold on like what their identity is going to be in this network market. And they had to make a deal with the affiliates that they would get a cut of the toy profit if they agreed to air the show they were hesitant to air. And on August 28th, 1993, Power Rangers premiered, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, and it went on to be a runway success. So before I stop and go into casting, I want to see if you have any additional tidbits that you think I missed along the way. Um, No, I think you got it. I will kind of get into some of I'll like reiterate some of the stuff that you just said towards the end uh, when I get into like the backstory of what led to the Power Rangers mania. But you go on and you you go you go ahead with the casting because I think the casting is probably the most fun part because it is a wild ride. It's a wild ride. So in terms of casting, because of the physical nature of the show, they cast people with athletic backgrounds. Austin St. John, who played my favorite boy, Jason the Red Ranger. My Walter favorite Jones, boy. <laughs> My best boy. You're my best boy. You're my best boy. You're my number one boy. You'll be happy to hear I'm catching up right now so that I can be in tune with the last season. So I've been very in deep with the Roy's recently. You better step on it. I know. I'm I'm really trying. I'm really trying. But in terms of who we cast for the show, we had Austin St. John who played Jason the Red Ranger. Walter Jones who played Zach the Black Ranger. You're your best boy. My best uh, boy. My number one boy. Tui Trong, R.I.P., who played Trini, the Yellow Ranger, and Jason David Frank, also R.I.P., who played Tommy the Green, later White Ranger. All of them studied martial arts long before the show, and Jason David Frank had studied martial arts since the age of four. Austin St. John held a second-degree black belt in Taekwondo and a first-degree black belt in Judo. Walter Jones was a dancer and trained in Taekwondo, and Tui Trong was a Kung Fu practitioner. And by the way, yes, Austin St. John is a stage name, as you can imagine. <laughs> I mean, also like Jason David, Jason Frank David, Jason David Frank. Like I, I, the people that have three first names as their whole stage name really make me I, giggle. I but. want an a, I want an AMA with a CAA agent from 1991 because everyone, while you're advising people to me, like three be like names. Scoot McNeary, just change your name to Scoot. Like I don't just know, just, it's more helpful because when you're saying like. August St. James and Jason David Frank. Like, it's very, like, we're we're really, like, we're around the corner from, like, porn, right? Like, these are no, very, totally. like, OnlyFans screen names a little bit. Truly. So Austin St. John ironically shares a real name. His real name is actually Jason Lawrence Geiger. So he, I don't really know why he changed his name, but he did. Um, it's usually but he this because another actor has your same name. The SAG, yeah. Because yeah, so, that's why Scoot McNary changed his name from like John Smith to Scoot McNary. <laughs> <laughs> He also found I also found out during this research, like I said, um, that I grew up in the same area as him. He was a military brat, but he spent some time in northern Virginia. And if I had attended public high school uh, or public school, I would have at- I would have gone to the same middle and high school as him. But we are very different in age. Decades um, apart. <laughs> decades apart, as I was five or six when I had a pee crush on him and he was in his 20s. Um, Amy Jo Johnson, who played Kimberly, the Pink Ranger and David Yost, who played Billy, the Blue Ranger didn't have martial arts experience, but they were Mm. both gymnasts and took self-defense classes and incorporated their talents into the fight scene choreography. Oh, that makes tons. That makes tons of sense because I was really like obsessed with Amy Jo Johnson, like single white female, like wanted to be her type stuff. And she was like a huge influence of why I did gymnastics briefly. Completely. Like they, they made sure that even though they were splicing a lot of the content uh, Mm -hmm. with Japanese fight sequences, there was still quite a bit of physical combat these actors had to do. Mm -hmm. And it's, pure coincidence that the Black Ranger was played by an African-American actor and the Yellow Ranger was played by an Asian-American actress. Walter Jones was actually originally cast as Billy the Blue Ranger and an actress by the name of Audrey Dubois, who is not Asian, was originally cast as Trini. And Trini is a name that goes back to the Saban pilot and it was a white woman. Um, So I, because I had never heard the name Trini before and I, when I was doing this research, got to see clips from this very not good uh, pilot that Saban had put together very cheaply um, of Sun Vulcan to uh, go to the Marvel execs with, or the, sorry, the TV execs with. Anyway, um, incidentally, David Yost, who played Billy, was originally cast as Jason slash the Red Ranger. 
And the cast was portrayed as high school students, but only Austin St. John was 18 years old. So he's the only one who's high school age. Everyone else is a little bit older. So Twee Trong was 19. Jason David Frank was 20. Amy Jo Johnson and Walter Jones were both 23. And David Yost was 24. And it's both, sadly, it is worth noting that Yost has since come out publicly as gay and quit the show because uh, after a few years, because he experienced quite a bit of homophobia on set, which is very sad. For the other main actors, we had Bulk and Skull, the high school bullies in comic relief, who were played by Jason Narvey, who was 19 at the time and actually originally auditioned for the role of Billy and Paul Schreer, who was 23. And as for Queen Rita Repulsa, they kept footage of the original Japanese actress in the series, played by Machiko Soga, also R.A.P., then dubbed her voice with voice actress Barbara Goodson. Mm. And she was given all sorts of notes. Basically, she was originally fired because they didn't like her voice. And then she got really angry about it and gave them this really evil sounding voice. And they're like, that's it. And it was the hardest one for her. Like it was, it strained her vocal cords quite a bit, but that's mm-hmm. the voice that ultimately made it. And Zordon, the, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say that tends to happen to a lot of voice actors when yes. they have to, they have to like hit a certain pitch in yes. order to match like the style that they want. It ends up yes. like putting like a huge strain on their vocal cords. And I think I had, I think I had read that before. Like that was sort of why at a certain point she stopped being the voice of Rita Repulsa. It was very difficult. I mean, you hear the clip now and you're like, that is a very hard thing to do with your voice. Yeah. Um, Zordon, the Power Rangers mentor, was played by David J. Fielding, and Richard Stephen Horvitz provided the voice of Alpha 5, ay ay ay, the <laughs> robot sidekick of Zordon. You may remember at one point in the second season, we suddenly had a different black, red, and yellow ranger. Mm-hmm. And this is this is because Austin St. John, Twee Trong, and Walter Jones left the show partway through filming season two, allegedly over contract disputes. Saban used stock footage from previous episodes along with body doubles and voice doubles so they could continue having Jason, Trini, and Zach, I'm putting air quotes on this, appear Uh in the the remaining eight episodes until they cast Steve Cardenas, Karan Ashley, and Johnny Youngbosch to explain... That yes. makes so much sense. Sorry, yes. because that makes so much sense. The way that they they use the same trickery in the new yes. Netflix movie. I think they did it in a smart yes. way, but now I have a little bit more context as to yes. where they got the idea from. Yes. And I have um, one final sentence. I have an epilogue, which I'll bring up later based sure. on what you you bring up. Okay. But to to explain their departure, you might remember there was I don't, a subplot. So please tell me. <laughs> I've forgotten too. There was a subplot written where Jason, Trini, and Zach left Angel Grove, the fictional California town where this show is set. I love the name I know. of this town. It's like Angel better. Grove. It's better than Sunnyvale. Like it is so funny. It is Angel Grove. It's it's okay. giving for being a Saturday morning Fox show. It's giving Saturday morning NBC show. Like mm-hmm. you know. Saved by the Bell. It's giving well, um, Hang Time. It's giving California Emily, Dreamin'. Do you remember that um, Aunt Becky show that she had on? I think the w- Summerland. Thank you. It's giving Summerland. It like it if is. This were on, like to your point, if this were on NBC, WB, whatever, it would be called Angel Grove. It truly is giving Summerland vibes. And I recently revisited that show because I was trying to remember who was on that show. And it was, it's it's Gregory Smith, um, who was in a couple of things in the 90s and 2000s. It's obviously Lori Loughlin. And then um, the one of the like love interests of the younger daughter is played by baby Zac Efron, like, like pre-high wow. school musical. I know. I genuinely do not remember this show, except that I watched it all summer in a French dub one summer. Yes. Like me and my cousins. I think it had one season and that it was did. like it was a it summer. Was a, it was a summer it was replacement a summer, show. Summer replacement show. So the, the fictional pr- plot that's used to explain why these three Rangers left is that they left Angel Grove for the world peace conference <laughs> a, a real thing obviously clearly a very legitimate thing and austin st john red ranger later returned temporarily as the gold ranger in power ranger zeo in 1996 and that that's what i have to say to this point i think this is a good segue into merch and mania sure 
So just a little bit of setup about how Power Rangers mania gets started. As Emily said, Power Rangers started in 1993 and not a single person thought it would be a ratings juggernaut. It was passed by every network except Fox, who was at this point, Fox Kids was like an upstart. And they decided to pick up the show and it would be like a big push into their television, their kids television programming. A lot of people at that network at the time thought it was going to be a quote unquote disaster. To quote the president of Saban Brands, uh, Ellie Deckel, she says, the ability for a young ordinary teenager to save the world is something that's always been core to the Power Rangers. It's highly aspirational to kids, both boys and girls. The show became even more popular when they introduced Tommy as the Green Ranger, Jason David Frank. Originally, he was a spy sent to infiltrate the team by Rita, but he eventually overcomes the influence and becomes the Sixth Ranger, although he was definitely more of like an ally than official member of the team. Anyway, Deckel was right. The show was an instant smash hit, offering a ton of action and a lot more violence than the average kid was used to when you were watching like your typical Disney or Nickelodeon show. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers averaged 4.8 million daily viewers in its first season and then 6.9 million in its second, making it by far the most popular kid show of its era. Its toys, costumes, and merchandise generated about a billion dollars in revenue. This is not adjusted for inflation in 1995, according to Fortune. And when the Power Rangers, the actors that played all the Power Rangers, went to Universal Studios for like a little meet and greet in 1994, Universal Studios was completely overrun. They attracted 35,000 people and caused an eight-mile-long traffic jam down the 101. The phenomenon peaked, as it usually does, with a big glossy movie in 1995. But... The Rangers would then move on to a different theme after Mighty Morphin, and then the ratings and toy sales sagged. A second movie then bombed at the box office a couple of years later, and Saban, who leveraged the success of Power Rangers to build a whole stable of popular kids programming on the Fox Family cable channel, sold the Rangers and the rest of the and the rest of its properties to Fox, and then Fox then sold it to Disney in 2001. The show did even worse, bottoming out around 250,000 views as it cycled through like different gimmicks every season. But at the peak of Power Rangers mania, Haim Saban boasted in news reports that the franchise would be around for at least a decade. He might have even doubted such a success that uh, he might have doubted that such an offbeat kids show would have such a success that it would last for generations or that he would be writing the success of this to a tune of $1.3 billion. But the Power Rangers are still here, obviously, battling inside giant robots, a.k.a. Zords, if you want to use Power Rangers speak. But the first big part of the craze are the toys. The toys were made by Bandai, and they sold out before they even hit the shelves. Similar to Cabbage Patch Kids craze, parents went absolutely fucking nuts to try and score these action figures and zords for their kids for the holiday season. While most of the toys were reissued of the original Japanese toys, the most popular ended up being the newly created Quick Change figures, which featured two heads. It's like their regular head and then like... Oh, of course. mm -hmm, And then their helmeted head. And they were all based on the American actors, not the Japanese show at all. So I wanted to know, what was it like in 1993, 1994, you are a stressed out parent, you are trying to get all of your kids shopping done, you have no recourse online, you have to be there in person. And I found a very fun New York Times article about about this very craze. And I quote most of it throughout. So just know that this is where it's coming from. Um, In a preview text underneath, in a subhead underneath the header, uh, it says, welcome to December, holiday shopping, mistletoe, and the nation's second annual Mighty Morphin Power Rangers shortage. What is another case of missing Morphins? It was not supposed to be this way. After all, the manufacturer cranked up 11 additional factories, saying it was shipping 10 times the number of Power Rangers toys that it did last Christmas. So this must have been 1994. Then the toys were so scarce that parents actually camped out overnight outside the stores to buy whatever they could. This year, there were plenty of Power Rangers accessories, like wristwatch clothes, lunch boxes, but there was still a, a short supply of Power Ranger characters. And I think the characters, whether it was the toy or like specific character, like lunch boxes or, or wristwatches were the ones that would go the fastest. And a little more than a year, the Power Rangers share of the market for action figures has jumped from 4% to 40 the sales of the product line are approaching $1 billion for the year in 1994. By comparison, Cabbage Patch doll sales were $550 million in their best year, while Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles topped out at $450 million. 
The only toy that's kind of like comparable to the success of Power Rangers at this time would be Barbie, who had close to a billion dollars in sales for the last two years, according to uh, different retailers at the time. Yeah, I was going to say, because I thought of like the crazes took me Elmo, but ultimately that was one toy. That is one doll in comparison to an entire merchandise like an entire menagerie suite yeah of products yeah like, suite of like, products yeah use yes. tech, techie language but like a, no but true google suite of, of power, products. <laughs> power rangers <laughs> bandai america was based in cerritos california and it was obviously an american subsidiary of the japanese company that makes power rangers and they said at the time that they would get 700 phone calls and 300 letters a week from parents oh my God. desperate to find some Power Rangers toys. For one reason, the Power Rangers popularity is that the action figures like the television show appeals to both boys and girls, and it covers a broad age range. At Halloween, Power Rangers costumes sold four times more than any other costume in the history of Toys R Us, dominating sure. both, again, boys and girls markets. The company increased the number of Power Rangers factory in China from 5 to 16 across China, Taiwan, Thailand, Mexico, and Japan. And the Rangers were coming to life around the clock, seven days a week, and yet the demand is the highest in the United States and growing in other countries. And it was still shorting out everywhere. Saban Entertainment, which was based in Los Angeles, owns the rights to Power Rangers in addition to its toys and television show and have tried to plaster Power Rangers images on everything from bedsheets to flashlights to toothbrushes, licensing 90 products in the States, in the United States and 300 internationally. Peter Dang, great last name, president of Saban Children's Entertainment Group, plans a Power Rangers movie, which will later come out in 1995 and it would be released by 20th Century Fox um, in the summer of 1995, and two Power Rangers arena shows that would travel the country and hit about 65 cities. They were also going to open their first live show on Tuesday in San Diego and was scheduled to have a post-holiday show at Radio City Music Hall in January. So some of the other stuff that they did was the Power Rangers movie, which came out in the summer of 1995. In its opening weekend, the film earned $17 million, coming in fourth behind Apollo 13, Pocahontas, and Batman Forever. Ultimately, it grossed $66 million against a $15 million budget. So for all intents and purposes, even though it kind of got mixed to slightly negative reviews, it was still considered a success. That's a tough crowd. Like, you are releasing this movie amidst uh, a Batman movie, a very successful Batman movie. Pocahontas, which a Disney animated movie in the summer is a juggernaut. Like there's mm-hmm. just no competing if you're a another kid's movie. And then what were the other ones you mentioned? Apollo 13. Oh my God. I mean, like Tom Hanks, epic, like space disaster, obviously. Like forget about it. Yeah. It, the fact that it didn't bomb and it held its own against three huge titles coming out that have their own following, have their own set of toys, all of that stuff is pretty remarkable again considering that you know a lot of the consensus from the reviews is that it just feels like a extra long episode of the power rangers so you weren't really like getting anything that you wouldn't get you know on a saturday right but you're just getting it stitched together for like a little over an hour it was a judd apatow of power ranger episodes like you know it's like it's there's a reason why they're 20 to 25 minutes long are they even that long Probably 20. When we're talking commercials, like yeah. it's going to be 20 minutes. Well, I'm rewatching The Hills right now, and I'm like shocked that without commercials, it's truly 17 minutes long. It's like you a web fi- series. You finish, you finish a series in like three hours. They also had comic books. They had several series that were based on the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers from 1994 to 1995. Hamilton Comics produced three separate series, totaling in 13 issues altogether, which I definitely had at least one. Then Marvel Comics produced two series – the first was seven issues based on the second season of the show. And then the second was five issues called Mighty Morphin Power Rangers colon Ninja Rangers slash VR Troopers, which was a flip book, which I definitely had. That had adventures based on the third season where one side was like Power Rangers and the other side was the VR Troopers. And then they had a couple of video games, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers for Super Nintendo and Game Boy 1994, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers colon the movie for S-N-E-S, uh, Genesis, Game Boy, Game Gear. Remember Game Gear? Oh my and God, Mighty Morphin Power course. Rangers, colon, the fighting edition for S-N-E-S. Uh, and that came out in 1995. And that's what I have about 
Power Rangers mania. I really felt like the New York Times article kind of like captured the insanity because I went and found an original LA Times article that covered the Universal Studios, I don't want to say debacle, but like massive traffic jam um, and how overwhelmed they were. First of all, a ticket to see the Power Rangers at Universal Studios was $23 for a child and $25 for an adult, which is crazy pants and you still have access to the whole park after you did the meet and greet with them and they were wholly unprepared for the amount of people that were going to be there and what i love the most is the people writing the la times article are like interviewing kids like why are you here and then being like i love the power rangers they're my favorite and their parents being absolutely mystified over like i don't get it i think it's really violent like but whatever as long as like (laughs) they teach the kids i think the one of the last quotes i remember reading was they teach kids to respect their parents and that's the only reason why i like the show and i was like wow (laughs) welcome to (laughs) 90s parenting (laughs) it's like it's like the transition between the 80s latchkey it's like the change of the Mm -hmm. guard is happening as we as we're watching this where it's like the 80s latchkey parenting that led to a lot of milk carton kids and then the flip side of that to like the 90s beginning of you know 2000s helicopter parenting like it's just this is the moment I think if people want to go back a sociologist wants to go back and see where it where it happened it's this it's this moment I was I'm glad you brought up all the toys because you unlocked a core memory we talked McDonald's earlier and I remember what it was oh what is it McDonald's pogs and I had them. oh my god Emily you're so right I had the McDonald's, there were two things, Power Rangers and VR Troopers pods, mm-hmm. and I had the collection. Oh, wow. That was probably yes. very coveted. I know. I was a Pog queen. I mean, Pogs, we got it. That's its own episode in some ways. We, cannot, like, we simply cannot Mitty. get into Pogs because we have a heart out. But yes. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. We do have a heart out. But um, I... <laughs> But add that to the list for next season because Pogs was a whole thing. And I don't know if you played for Keepsies, but that was always the most devastating day at school. It really was. It truly was. Um, How do you want to do the rest of it? Do you want to do – sorry. Do you want to do the epilogue or do you want to talk about the Power Rangers movie that we watched? Um, I would say let's get into the epilogue really quickly because it's just two two paragraphs. And then I will talk about the the movie. So – the Power Rangers made Saban a very, very rich man because he owned the merchandising toy rights with Bondi outside of Japan. Insane. He's worth worth close to Margot, can you take a gander as to what how much this man is worth? Isn't he worth like three billion dollars? You are correct. He donates a lot to Democrat politicians and Israel-focused causes. Well, and that's Saban, because that's a tax write-off. <laughs> yes. And Saban Entertainment produced a lot of other American versions of tokusatsu shows, mm-hmm. including what we brought up earlier, VR Troopers and Big Bad Beetleborgs. He also bought brought Samurai Pizza Cats and the first three series of Digimon to the U.S., and as you mentioned oh. earlier, Saban's, all of the Power Rangers IP was acquired by Fox, which was later acquired by Disney. And in an interesting twist of fate, uh, Disney would go on to acquire 20th Century and all its IP almost two decades later. But Saban reacquired the franchise in 2010. In 2018, Hasbro was named the new Master Toy licensee. And shortly afterwards, Saban Brands and Hasbro announced that the latter would acquire the franchise and the rest of it of the C of the assets for five hundred and twenty two million dollars. And as for Margaret Lesh, she became president of the Jim Henson Television Group in ninety eight and moved on to Odyssey, which was the rebranding of the Faith and Values channel in the 90s. We had some crazy channels. I mean, it was it was the dawn of basic cable and we just were going along with it. And so they acquire, the network gets acquired by the Hallmark Channel, Liberty Media, Hallmark Entertainment, and the Jim Henson Company. And it becomes less capital H him focused, more family focused. <laughs> and under her, they it becomes the Hallmark Channel in 1999. And she stayed at Hallmark through 2001. So she was there before the Christmas movie frenzy. But uh, from 2009 to 2014, she was a CEO of The Hub, which is now Discovery Family. And as for the creator of the original Go Ranger series, Shotaro Inshinomori, he passed away in 1998 at the age of 60 due to heart failure. 
And as of 2022, Power Rangers consists of 29 TV series of 21 different theme series and three theatrical films released in 95, 1997, and 2017, which if you may remember, there was a Power Rangers movie in 2017 where Zordon was played by Brian Cranston. Oh, right. And isn't that the Elizabeth Banks Rita Repulsa movie? Yes. yes. I rewatched yes. that trailer yesterday because I really thought that I had made that up. I I, like, it sounds like a fever dream. Yeah, I'm like, I know yesterday. Yesterday was 420. And so I was like, am I am I crazy? Or no. did, did Elizabeth Banks play Rita Repulsa? Or did she just say that in an interview one time? And so imagine my shock when I watched the trailer. I was like, I'm sorry. This looks like an absolute mess. <laughs> and I'm so surprised this hasn't been a How Did This Get Made movie yet. Probably just because they're uh, friends true. with Elizabeth Banks. But I, yeah, I mean... She's given it her all, as is Brian Cranston. But, truly, um, truly. This is a case of not everyone's in the same movie. No, no, no. But speaking of being in the same movie, I will say this Netflix Power Rangers movie that we watched, as we said earlier, we thought it was literally going to be a reunion. Where are Nick and Vanessa Lachey? <laughs> oh, don't even get me started. Yeah, I feel like uh, they're all they're they would only be equipped to do a Power Rangers reunion, not <laughs> any other reunion. Like the stakes no. truly need to be like underneath hell in order unless, for them to host stuff. Unless Vanessa starts asking them about when they're gonna have kids. Stop it right now. <laughs> I'm sure all of them be like, we all have kids. What are you talking about? Fuck off. <laughs> hey lady, fuck off. But I didn't expect, you know, like an hour-long TV movie when I sat down to watch this. Like I was, no, really, I didn't either. I genuinely was like trying to get like emotionally like hype because I'm like, oh, we're gonna talk about like these Rangers that like passed away. It's like kind of tragic. They, and you know, at some point in the mid 2000s, there was a lot of talk about like the Power Rangers curse, and so I was like, really, you know, getting yeah. ready for that. And then when they, you know, kill off Trini, scare quotes. In the first five minutes, I was like, oh, wow. Oh, geez. Like, how's this going to go? And then the movie just keeps going. <laughs> they never cut to, like, Zach and uh, not Tommy, uh, your boy. Oh, Jason. Jason. Yeah. We, we never cut to them, like, sitting down on a couch and talking about anything. But I will no. say, I think that, like, one of the best things that they did is they made Rita into a robot. I thought that was yeah. really smart. I think they did a lot of really smart things. Like, yes. they honored the Power Rangers that are no longer with us, RIP, or could not join us, Amy Jo Johnson, um, and kind of, like, had them be captured by Rita, like, early on. Or they, and, yeah. and then they did a smart thing of, like, passing on the torch from, like, from Trini to Trini's daughter. And I thought that that yeah. was probably, like, the smartest way that they could go about doing this movie. And I think what's kind of nice is you and I grew up, grew up, really early stages of peak power rangers and so we are tied emotionally to a different cast mm -hmm. and they had a few of the i think like i forget which pink ranger it was i think she was the second or the third pink ranger is who they cast yes. in this and then um but the original ones they had were zach and billy so the black ranger and the blue ranger and then the red ranger they had was rocky who was the replacement for Jason but Jason was in this briefly as well like it gets it's a little like all over but I appreciate that they tried to capitalize on this um, honor those who had gone but then at the same time uh, you know made sure that people who got in later in the franchise had a few actors that they would recognize for sure I think that they did the best that they could under the circumstances yeah and some of like the other notes that I took was that Zach is still very good looking Yes, uh, Power Rangers toys are still so in demand that Rita needs to steal them and that may the power protect you and you is so Catholic. <laughs> I was like, well, it's true. George Lucas and, and I'm Savon for being Jewish picked a very Catholic. <laughs> right. Like, I don't I'm obviously not <laughs> that familiar with Judaism, although we have yes. some crossover with Catholicism here. I just Lots found that of, to be yes. so funny. I was like, this is yes. very like, and with you. And yes. I'm like, I don't remember this part of Power Rangers. But yes. what I will say is that it's not an unenjoyable experience watching it. Like there was no. a lot. They, I thought what they did the best was like they kept the old animation of like saber tooth tiger. Like and they put them in the little... <laughs> <laughs> in the little medallion, which I thought was really yes. funny, but they kept like the OG like drawing. Yeah, that was really satisfying. I thought that um, 
whatchamacallit, like the relationship between Zach and Trini's daughter was like very, it was like sweet, but like not forced and didn't feel too like, I'm yeah. your daddy. And like, this is such a sacrifice for me. I like that they kind of all stick with like the same theme of like, we're friends forever till the end, like Power Rangers one, one for all. But, you know, as soon as the movie was over, I was like, I don't really remember the finer points of the plot <laughs> other than no. like Trini's daughter gets kidnapped by Rita at one point. But you don't yeah. really get the sense of like any real danger, but it incorporated some of like the better stuff that you remember from the TV show, which is like fun, low stakes action sequences. You have like yes. the putty people that still make the exact same noise that they've been making yeah. for the last 30 plus years. <laughs> <laughs> they sound like turkeys. Um, yes. Uh, that was great. And like they upgraded some of the, the special effects. It's like, what more could you ask for? It's like an hour long episode, essentially. And I think that it's a good way to soft reboot if they wanted to start a new Power Rangers movie franchise where Trini's daughter, and I apologize, I don't remember what her name is in the movie. Because like I said, as soon as it ended, I was like, okay, bye now. I <laughs> So I don't, I did not internalize her name. But if they wanted to soft reboot Power Rangers with Trini's daughter at the head or whatever, or like the team captain. They definitely like set all that up and then you can have, you know, Zach and Jason come back. Yeah, I think so. I think they've done it in such a way where they can walk away from it if they want to, but also reboot if they want. I, you know, it's interesting. Like, I wonder if it would, it would do well in this, in this new world, in this, in this world we live in. I wonder, but I, people, the Zier, Gen Zers and beyond whatever they're calling the next generation seem to really love this 90s nostalgia wave. So who I think knows? There's like a, a, a current animated Power Ranger series that I think yeah. is like fairly popular. Yes. Yeah, I think you're right. And the last thing was I forgot that Amy Jo Johnson had like a whole music career after this because they the she last did. thing is her si like singing acoustic guitar, like singer songwriter girly in her bag. <laughs> and I was like, I remember oh, right. she released like two albums because I remember I listened to one and was sort of like shocked that it was like sort of country ish. Yeah, she was a musician. And then, of course, she had a stint on Felicity. Like that was her oh, next right. big role after after Power Rangers. Oh, right, didn't J.J. Abrams cast her from um, Power Rangers? Like he saw her yeah. and I was like, oh, you'd be great for this. And she's like, I'm not really like an actor. He's like, just audition. And she got it. Yeah, I mean, because she left the show around like 96-ish, maybe early after 97 the, It was after the movie, so probably after 96. After the movie, so 96. And so Felicity, I think, starts airing in 98 or 99. So that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Any other closing thoughts about the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers at 30? I mean, go, go Power Rangers, you know, like. You Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Well, thank yeah. you guys so much for coming on this journey with us and for <laughs> listening. If you can leave us a five-star rating wherever you are listening to this, we would greatly appreciate that. And if you want more, more, more from us, you can join our Patreon and you will get one bonus episode a month. This month, we are doing Indie Sleaze. Last month, well, we're doing an additional episode to our main episode of Indie Sleaze, where it was like all of the songs that got cut from the main episode. Last month, we did a review of the Titanic miniseries, which is absolutely insane. So head on over to Old Millennials Pod at Patreon if that sounds like something you might be into. Also, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The Old Millennials Pod. And you can follow Emily and I individually on Twitter for as long as that is a thing that we are plugging. I am at Marg, she wrote. And I'm at Emily Bayesian. No blue check mark. <laughs> oh, please. Yeah. No one's paying for a blue check. I wouldn't even take it for free. I'm all set. Thank you so much. Don't care about engagement on this cursed app. But until next time, we wish you a goodbye. Bye.